Josh, do I have to turn this on or is it on? Okay. Amen. Yeah, we are so thankful as Christians and as a church for those of you who have served our country so faithfully. And, and um, as Kent said, freedom is not free. And, uh, you know, there's only one thing that, that is free in life, really, and that's our eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful that we don't have to pay for that, earn that, work for that. So thank you so much for your service. This morning, I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles, please, to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And I want to preach on a passage, and I've entitled it, Trusting God in a Troubled World. Trusting God in a Troubled World. I'd like for us to read the passage together, and why don't we all stand as we uh, read together this passage from God's Word. So as I read... As I read, please read along with me in your Bible. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble in its swelling. There is a river whose strings make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold, the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bows, bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your inspired word. We just thank you so much for the privilege of being able to come together and to lift up your name in praise. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will just bless us as we study this word together. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. You know, many people believe that um, the historical background for this psalm is God's supernatural deliverance of Judah when she was attacked by the Assyrian army under King Sennacherib. The Syrian army was much stronger, of course. Judah's army was greatly outnumbered. In fact, 46 towns and villages in Judah had been sacked already by the Assyrian army. Over 200,000 residents had been taken to Assyria as captive. At least 145,000, excuse me, 185,000 enemy troops now surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Humanly speaking, it was no contest. Human 
Humanly speaking, there was no way in the world that Judah could defeat this great and powerful uh, army and leader. Judah didn't have a chance for victory over such a strong foe. But the Assyrians, they failed to realize uh, something very important. They failed to realize that Judah's God is the living God. And King Hezekiah of Judah, he went to God in prayer, and uh, God did the impossible. He prayed for deliverance. He prostrated himself before the living God, and God came through. Aren't you glad that our God is a God of the impossible? You know, one of the great themes of, of the Bible is, with God, nothing is impossible, or all things are possible with God. You know, I, I think about um, when God promised Abraham and Sarah, you know, a baby. A, a son would be born to them, but she was barren, and they were both beyond the age of reproduction. And, and, and God said, with, with God, nothing is impossible. And I think about the Virgin Mary when she was confronted by the angel Gabriel, and she was told that she was going to give birth to a son, and she said, well, how can this be since I've never known a man? And the angel said, with God, nothing is impossible. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true in your life? Do you believe that's true in this church? Do you believe that we can reach our one for Jesus? Do you really believe that? Do you believe we can reach this community for Jesus Christ, that nothing is impossible with God? I want us to look at this historical account just for a moment. In 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 35 and 36, we see the historical account. I want you to listen as I read this. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained in Nineveh. So, you know, this is really a, just a humorous um, account of this. Here, this great, great army and this great leader who defeated nation after nation after nation, you know, went to battle against Judah, much inferior to his own armies, and and he was absolutely defeated by God. Can you imagine what that did to this man's pride? I love what it says. It says he uh, went away, <laughs> he returned home, and he stayed right there in Nineveh, you know. You know, Psalm 46 was written at a time of extreme adversity for the nation Judah. And it is a great encouragement to Christians today who are going through Adversity, not the same kind of adversity, but those of us who are going through adversity. It tells us that when trouble comes knocking at our door, no matter how extreme that adversity might be, God is able to get us through. No problem, no adversity, no trial, no tragedy is too big for our God. If we lean on Him, if we put our trust in Him, 
He's able to get us through whatever we go through in life. Now, there's one thing that um, needs to be clear, and so often it's not clear. We as Christians are not immune to troubles. Uh, God nowhere promises us a trouble-free life. In fact, Jesus promised the very opposite. He said, in the world you will have troubles, you will have adversity. And then the Apostle Peter, in one of his letters, he tells us that we shouldn't think it's strange. We shouldn't be shocked and surprised when all these troubles and trials come into our lives. We ought not to be shocked by, by that. And, and, of course, God's got a purpose in all that. And, of course, the health and wealth guys, that's what I call them, the health and wealth preachers. They're out there, and they will tell you that... Um, that um, it's God's will for every Christian to experience health and prosperity. Well, show me that in the Bible, you know. Show me that in the Bible. But they go on to say that if you aren't experienced this health and, and, and wealth, this financial prosperity, there must be something wrong in your life. There must be some sin in your life. Well, there's a name for this teaching, and it's called false teaching heresy. You know, some of the sweetest, and maybe you've had the same experience that I've had, some of the sweetest, most faithful Christians I've ever known have gone through some of the worst trials imaginable. And through my 35 plus years of ministry, you know, I can think of people that I have been able to minister to time and time again that went through terrible times, yet they were men and women who trusted God completely in their difficulties. You know, the Bible teaches us that God is our help in trouble, uh, not that he's going to remove trouble from us. One of my favorite preachers is Dr. Adrian Rogers, the late Dr. Adrian Rogers, and, and he is famous for saying, Jesus didn't leave heaven to come to earth to get us out of trouble but he left heaven to come to earth to get in trouble with us. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He is with us. He's with us. Christians aren't exempt from troubles. Troubles come to all of us. They are unavoidable. Um, either you have just passed through some testing or trial, or you're in it right now, or soon you're going to be in it uh, not too long from now. Christians are murdered. Just think about it. They get cancer. They have heart attacks. They lose their job. They have family problems. They have marriage problems. They have problems with their kids. And just think about the, the universal church. You know, there, there are Christians all over the world today that are being persecuted and imprisoned and even martyred just because they love Jesus. That's it just because they love Jesus, not from any fault of their own. Maybe, just maybe, you're here today, and, you know, you have this big smile on your face. And from the outward appearance, it looks like everything is just dandy in your life. But down deep, you're crying inside. You're going through a tough time. Could be a health problem. It might be you're just growing old and you just can't do the things that you once want, wanted, uh, used to do and now want to do. 
It might be a family problem. It might be a broken relationship. It might be a difficulty with the boss at work. Or you just hate your job, you know. And you just wish you could get out of it. And you don't know what to do. Listen, the psalmist gives us hope. The psalmist tells us that we can trust God in a troubled world. And the world I'm talking about is your world. Right where you live, right now, right now. The Bible says, the psalmist says that we can trust God in the trouble that you're in right now. And he gives us three reasons that I see in the psalm why that is true. First of all, he says we can trust God in a troubled world because he, that is God, is sufficient. He is, say that with me, God is sufficient. God is sufficient. The future isn't, is very uncertain, but our God isn't uncertain. And you've heard the old adage and that we don't know, um, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And really what the psalmist is saying, that in the midst of all, we can trust God and we have no reason to fear. And the psalmist in this psalm gives us two, two reasons that um, we have nothing to fear. He says, trouble is no reason to fear. Trouble is no reason to fear. Again, look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, you know, every word in Scripture is important. And, you know, that little word trouble is a very important word because it it covers a lot of territory. It really does. It covers a lot of things. All kinds of troubles and difficulties and trials, uh, both great and small, little and big. It covers so many things. But, you know, one thing I've noticed in life so often it's not the really big things that trip us up, but those little daily unexpected things like um, the car breaks down and, and it's going to cost you $1,000 to get it repaired and you have absolutely no, no idea where the money's going to come from. The pipe bursts in your home and you, you walk in the kitchen and it's just filled with water. You have a flat tire on I-26, and you wonder if you're going to survive getting it changed with all that traffic. You're driving along, and, and someone almost runs you off the road, you know, with road rage. You know, so often it's these little things that get under our skin and gives us the most trouble. So when trouble comes, and it will, where do you go? Where do you go with your trouble? We all go somewhere. Where do we go? Well, some go to pills. Some go to alcohol. Um, some go to counselors, and there's nothing wrong to get good counseling. Uh, some people just run around like a chicken with his head cut off. You know, they go absolutely nowhere. Well, Psalm 46 tells us where to go. The very first word in this psalm gives us the answer where we're to go in our troubles. And that very first word is God. That's where we're to go. We're to go to God. So when trouble comes knocking at your door, and it will, we're to go to the all-sufficient God. And and when I think of the all-sufficient God, I, I think of this, that God is enough. 
God is enough. He's all we need. I think of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want anything. You know, if God is your shepherd, if God is your God, he is enough. He's enough. He's all we need. I want you to notice the tense of the verb here as well. It says, God is. God is our refuge and strength. Folks, it doesn't say God was as if the day is coming gone. Oh, 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 God was, he was great way back then. Man, he really came through for grandma, even daddy and mama. No, it doesn't say God was. It doesn't say God will be as if the day has not yet come. It says God is our refuge and strength. That means, folks, right now, at this very moment, no matter what you're facing, you say, well, Pastor, you have no idea whatsoever what I'm facing. No, I don't, but we have a God who does. And, and God says that he is our refuge. He is right now our refuge and strength. In our time of trouble, go to him. Go to God. You won't be disappointed. I've never met a Christian who has told me that, that he or she was sorry that they went to God with their trouble. Never met a Christian. But I've met many Christians who said that they're sorry that they did not go to God in their time of trouble. Well, see, when trouble comes, as followers of Jesus, we have a place to go. God is our refuge. That, that means he is our protector. It means he is our place of safety. He is our security. It says that God is our strength, the almighty. That's who he is, the almighty God, the all-powerful God, our stronghold in, in times of weakness, a very present help. <laughs> I love that, a very present help. A constant companion who is always there at all times, no matter what. The psalmist is saying, trouble will not cause me to fear. Why? Because God is my refuge. He's my strength. He's my helper. He is my all-sufficient God. Well, the psalmist says also, not only trouble should not cause any fear in his life, but Natural disasters are no reason to fear. Look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 says, Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, and the mountains shake with its swelling. Oh, here the psalmist names some of the worst cosmic disasters that you could possibly think of, that could possibly fall upon mankind. Earthquakes so severe that it topples great mountains and into the sea. And it's kind of like that big one that's expected to hit California. You know, that kind of cosmic disaster. Tidal waves, tsunamis, flash floods that bring devastation and destruction at catastrophic proportions. 
And the psalmist is just telling us, whatever may come our way, God is our refuge. He's our strength, our present helper. We will not fear. Our God is sufficient. He's enough, even in the worst of times. Again, let me just ask you, in your own context, in your own life right now, do you really believe God is enough to take care of your problems? Now, the result might not be like we want it to be. You know, I'd love to live to be 150 years old. I doubt if I will. Boy, I'd love to never grow sick when I get older. I'm sure I will. See, it might not turn out like we want, but it means that that we're confident that God knows what's best for us. And we can trust Him in that. And we have no reason to fear that God is enough. He's enough. There probably won't be an earthquake, even though Charleston is due one. 1890, it was a bad one. (laughs) Might not be a tsunami, but how about the next hurricane that blows our way? You know, that's always been a problem for me, hurricanes. I get nervous when hurricanes. I follow that baby as it's coming out in the sea, and is it going to hit Charleston area and all of this? You know, sometimes I get nervous, you know. But, I mean, if we believe that God is our helper, our protector, we should be confident in him. That doesn't mean we don't need to leave town or something like that, but we need to just trust him. And listen. The worst comes, if we get out of there, we can replace things, but that's the most important thing is lives. You know, I think of Paul's thorn in the flesh that he speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We don't know what that thorn was. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, identify that thorn in the flesh. And I think the probably the reason... It's not identified so that we can identify with the thorns that come in our flesh. But we know this, it must have been painful. It must have been bad for Paul. I know it was bad because three times he prayed earnestly to God for God to take it away. Three times. And what was God's answer? No. Do you like to hear no from God? (laughs) We don't, do we? Sometimes God's answer to our prayer is yes. We love that, man. Get it right then. We pray and it's answered. Hallelujah. God's good all the time and all of this. But sometimes God's answer is wait. It's not time. It's something that I'm going to ultimately do in your life, but you know this isn't the time, so you need to just wait. And sometimes the answer is no. Well, God's answer to Paul was no, and he tells him why. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what he's saying? I'm enough. (laughs) I'm all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. God is saying to Paul, I'm not going to remove this thorn in your flesh because I'm going to show myself to be strong in your weakness. I'm going to prove myself to be strong. In your weakness. 
you know, folks, we're living in exciting times. Troubled times, but exciting times. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade living uh, the day in which we live today for any time in history. What an opportunity to reach our communities for Jesus Christ. What an opportunity to reach your one for Jesus. What an opportunity to make disciples for Jesus Christ. What an opportunity to build relationships with lost people in your neighborhood, at your workplace. What an opportunity to reach your one for Jesus Christ. Yet there are many challenges before us. Politically, and it just breaks my heart, we are more divided as a nation than we've ever been in history. I'm convinced of that. And that makes it difficult to to build bridges, to to build relationships with people that might differ from us politically. Culturally, biblical morality has been rejected by a growing percentage of Americans today. Just think what's happening in our world in recent times. Marriage has been completely redefined. Completely redefined. No longer is marriage just the union, the lifelong union between a man and a woman. No, that's just... It's been completely redefined. The gay lifestyle is championed at every area of a life. I mean, wherever you turn, whatever store you go in, whatever you see on TV or view on the Internet, it's all about, it's all about that. Abortion is not only tolerated, but it's celebrated, actually celebrated. I'm telling you, I was floored when... You know, I saw that news piece that the state of New York, you know, passed this late-term abortion uh, bill, and the legislature legislators actually stood up and applauded what they had just done to kill innocent unborn babies even at birth. We're challenged. There's no question about it. But you know what we can do? We can fearlessly proclaim the life-changing message of the gospel that there is hope in Jesus Christ and that Jesus is sufficient to change and transform any person's life. See, we don't hate the sinner. We hate the sin. And my friend, never think that you're better than some of the people that we talk about Because we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And if we got what we deserve, we would all be in hell today. And that's just the gospel truth. We need to be winsome in our witnessing. We need to love the sinner. And we need to do everything we can to seek to reach them for Jesus Christ. Well, we can trust God in troubled times because... Our God is sufficient. But secondly, we can trust God in a troubled world because He is present. He's present. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 in our psalm. It says, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. The psalmist here pictures a life-giving river running through the city of Jerusalem. So the only thing wrong with that, there's no, there's no river running through the city of Jerusalem. You know, and 
In ancient days, um, a river was essential for an ancient city to survive a seas, to, to survive a seas on attack. And when King Sennacherib, when he uh, attacked Jerusalem, he was certain that the city would fall because there was no water supply at all. But unknown to King Sennacherib, the wise King Hezekiah of Judah, he built an underground tunnel which brought life-giving water through solid rock to the pool of Siloam. And when some of us were in Jerusalem back in 2016, we walked through that narrow tunnel, which is now dry. See? The psalmist is really picturing a much greater source, spiritual source. And that river is God himself. He's the living river that can quench the spiritual thirst of man. I think about what Jesus said on the on the day of the Feast of Tabernacle there in Jerusalem in John chapter 7, beginning at verse 37 through verse 39. Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The rivers of living water is the Holy Spirit who indwells all of us as believers in Jesus. See, the Bible tells us the moment we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we're forgiven of all of our sins, we receive as a free gift eternal life, and the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell us to empower us to live the life that God has called us to live. And that's what it's pictured here. In verse 5 it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of day. You know, three promises are given here in that verse. Number one, God is in the midst of her. This is the promise of his presence. How many times do we read Jesus saying, Fear not, for I am with you. You know, I used to believe that, um, because I read it somewhere, that, um, that, they, that the, the phrase or something close to it, um, fear not, I am with you always, is found in the Bible 365 times. Um, a time for each day of the year. But uh, that's proven to be false. But friend, if Jesus said it one time, you know, that's more important than 365 times anywhere else. And Jesus says, you know, I will be with you, fear not. Look at the second promise. She shall not be moved. That's the promise of his power. His power. And then God shall help her at the break of dawn. That's the promise of his protection. In ancient times, the most dangerous time for a city that was under attack was at the break of day, before dawn. It was the most dangerous time during the battle. But God's people had nothing to fear. Why? Because the promise is, I will be with you. I will be there at your weakest moment. You know what a wonderful promise is that? God will be with us when we need him the most. Mountains may topple, 
kingdoms may fall, but God's people will not. Why? Because His presence is always with us. Always with us. Look again at verse 6. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice, the earth melted. You know, today the nations are in rebellion against God and His people. No question about it. There's never been a time in human history that there has been more hatred for the things of God than we're experiencing today. It seems like everything is tolerated except except Christians, you know, Bible-believing Christians. I mean, if you follow Jesus and if you're committed to Him, most likely you're going to be mocked and you're going to be called intolerant, you're going to be called homophobic, mean-spirited, narrow-minded, but we have nothing to fear. Why? Because God is with us. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You know, um, you know the word host, that's really referring to the angelic host. And, and God is just, once again, telling us who he is. He's the God He's the Lord of the armies of heaven. You know, sometimes these pictures of God are really disgusting. You know, God is, is sometimes viewed as this old grandfatherly type of man with a long white beard, with a long robe, you know, looking down at us in heaven. No, God's not that kind of God. He is the Almighty God, the Almighty God. And then it says the God of Jacob is our refuge. Why does he mention Jacob here? Well, if you know anything about the life of Jacob, you know that he was a trickster. He was a deceiver. He was a failure. He was the one who who tricked his own brother out of his birthright and the blessing and all of this. (laughs) Yet God was with him and used him to accomplish his purposes. Well, see, God can use a failure. And he can use a failure like you and me. Maybe you're saying to yourself, well, Pastor, you just don't know how I fail. You don't know what I've done in my life. Listen, God has a way of using failures. In fact, you can look throughout the entire Bible. Almost every person that God has used in the past have been those who have failed. Drop the ball. Look at David, a man after God's own heart. Yet he failed God over and over again. Lewis Berry Chafer, the, the president of, the former president, founder of Dallas Seminary, used to say, God never grows weary of new beginnings. Now, maybe that's what you need to do today. You need to begin anew. You know, you've dropped the ball, you failed, and uh, you just need to go to God and say, God, I'm ready for a new beginning. God, I want you to forgive me. I want you to pick up the broken pieces of my life, and I just want to be used of you. Now, see, if God can use a man like Jacob, he can use people like you and me. Yes, we can trust God in a troubled world because he is sufficient, because he is present. Finally, we can trust God in a troubled world because he is faithful. He is faithful. You know what the psalmist does here at the end of the of the psalm, he invites God's people to view God's faithfulness by his past faithfulness. 
The history of the children of Israel is a history of God's faithfulness in spite of their unfaithfulness. Look what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. Psalmist is saying, Israel, just look at your past. God has been so faithful to you. Well, how was God faithful to Israel? Let's just think about a little bit of her history. God delivered them from bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them through his man Moses. He brought them through the Red Sea and delivered them into the and 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 delivered them from the Egyptian armies. He brought them through the Jordan River into the land of promise. He defeated the Canaanites in the land through Joshua and gave them rest from their enemies. He gave them the holy scriptures to teach them his ways. He delivered them from the land of captivity and brought them back into the promised land. And then I think about that first promise he made to to Abraham and, and to his descendants after him. I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And folks, just you can trace it through the scriptures. You can trace it through history. Every nation that has stood against Israel has met a devastating end. Hitler tried to wipe Israel off the face of the earth with the Holocaust. And see what that did to him. In 1967, Egypt, Jordan, and Syria attacked Israel from all sides in a surprise attack. And they were utterly defeated in only six days. Therefore, that war has been coined the Six-Day War. See, God was faithful to Israel in the past. And he's going to be faithful to them in the future. And the same is true for God's people today. God was faithful to you and me in the past, and He's going to be faithful to you and me in the future. You can trust Him in a troubled world. You know, I love what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Even when we fail Him, He's going to be faithful to us. What should our response be to our all-sufficient, ever-present, ever-faithful God? Listen to Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I believe God is saying to us this morning is this. Just stop your fretting, your worrying. Just be still, just for a moment, and realize who I am. I'm the exalted one who reigns over the nations. I am the God of Jacob who will be with you even in your weakest moments. And I want you to look at that little, that little word, Selah. It's mentioned, what, one, two, three, four times in this psalm. 
and other places. We don't really know for sure the meaning of that notation, Selah. Many believe that it is a notation denoting a musical rest. You know, to give the singers, and, and by the way, the Psalms were sung by the nation of Israel. It was to give the singers and maybe the instrumentalists a time to rest, pause, and take a breath. But I think what it means to us is simply this. God wants us to selah. He wants us to stop and rest. He wants us to be still and know that He is God. To rest, selah, in the assurance that He is worthy to be trusted even in the worst of times. Why? Because He is sufficient. He's enough, folks. He's enough. We don't need anything else. He's all we need. He is ever-present with us. You know, He's with us now, and when we leave this place, He's going to be with us. Jesus is with us constantly through the blessed Holy Spirit who indwells us, and He's faithful. I'm so glad we have a faithful God. Because face it, sometimes we aren't very faithful, are we? We have a faithful God who promises to meet every need that we go through in life, even in a troubled world, even at your troubled workplace, even in your troubled home, even in troubled churches. We have a God who is always there and who's always faithful. Let's pray to God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your truth, your word. We thank you so much, Lord, that um, you are absolutely sufficient. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you are always present. You're always present with us. And you're always faithful. My friend, maybe you're here today. And maybe you're a little confused about a lot that is said here because you really don't know this God that we've been talking about. My friend, you can come to know him even today by putting your faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. As we bow in prayer, I just want to tell you that God loved you so much that he, he sent his own son into this world to pay the price for your sins, to change your life and to give you a a relationship with him. The Bible says if you just put your trust in Christ, Jesus, if you're just willing to, to follow him as the Lord of your life, that he will change you and he'll make you into the person that he wants you to be. 
So my friend, if you've never trusted Christ, I invite you to put your trust in him. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. We just pray that you will accomplish all that you intend to do today. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand for the invitation.